Hello, welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod, and we are going to be starting with a line from the modern philosopher Jeremy Usborne. In Peep Show, he remarks to his friend, there's only so much happiness in the world, and they're hoarding it all. Tommy, you have been hoarding all the happiness this year. How does it feel? Guys, welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. You just heard Rory's voice stealing distress from the final loss. I'm doing much better, man. Two Piazza del Duomo celebrations in Milan in the matter of two months after a one-year-long lockdown. Golly, golly, what a moment. Um, I'm sorry I've hoarded it all, but I swear to God, it hasn't happened that often in my life. But I have to say, holy shit, we're starting to become spoiled as Italians. Like, I've already seen a World Cup and a European Championship in my lifetime. And a few interscriptors. I really cannot complain. I'm sorry, Rory. I did take a picture of the two Gazzetta front pages that I now have at my house. Pazza Inter and then like Forza Italia. I don't remember what the title was. But yeah, it feels pretty good. How are you feeling, bud? Um, I'm all right. I think we kind of talked about it a bit um, off mic. But Monday was... Um, obviously, I was a little bit hungover. had class at half past eight in the morning, which was brutal. Um and most of the day was me sat on Twitter, kind of not trying not to cry at reactions to Bukayo Saka, to Sancho, to Rashford. And I mean this in a kind of, we'll get onto the negative, but I mean it in a positive way. There was a lot of messages of support and also a lot of people like, so obviously because my feed is mainly Arsenal, um, all the Arsenal players kind of put a story up on Instagram, just supporting Bukayo Saka, which definitely got me a little bit. Um, and there was people talking about how, like, when it, the Italy players all ran to celebrate, Bukayo Saka was stood on his own, and Calvin Phillips just sprinted down the pitch to, to like, console him straight away. And it was, like, this really powerful moment. So I think for Monday, that was mostly my mindset, was just me holding back tears. Regular listeners of the pod will know that I get a little bit too attached when it comes to Saka, and it definitely, when he stepped up for that penalty, I was not ready for it. But... Now, Tuesday's a new day. Um, the narrative has changed a little bit and made me more angry. But I think the with the result, I'm a little bit more ease, more at ease with it. And I can look back at the tournament for England and just be quite, no, not quite, very proud of the tournament that we had. Um, I think Italy were definitely the better team. But yeah, we did, we did very well. We did ourselves proud. Yeah, so... I just do the plugs right now since we've forgotten. We are mm-hmm. at the Anglican Pod. You're hearing Tommy, my friend Rory as well. You can find us on Instagram at Anglican Pod and on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod. We are here to mainly talk about the final, the Anglo Italian final, to tell you about our experience of it. And then we're going to go Rory's vision of the game, my vision of the game, and then kind of like the takeaway moments of the tournament. Um, however, we are going to start with a section that we have called Grim Shit. And this Grim Shit section is actually divided into multiple parts, unfortunately. But we're going to start from part number one. And um, I mean, we'll just tell you that the racial abuse, you've just heard a massive thunder in the background but we can just tell you to make you understand how serious this is that the online racial abuse received by Saka, Rashford and Sancho is nothing but the tip of the iceberg 
for me and Rory and I'll leave the floor to Rory now to share his experience of the Italy-England game at a bar in Milan. <laughs> well, I don't know if I did not expect this, honestly. It, um, so, yeah, I'm going to start with like the abuse that the players have been getting online. Honestly, when Saka missed that penalty, there was two things I said. As he stepped up, I turned around to my girlfriend and said, I cannot handle him missing this penalty. I cannot handle it. And when he missed it, the first thought that came into my head was, fuck, the amount of abuse he is going to get for this is going to be unbelievable. And I just find it so depressing that that is the first thought that has to come into your head. Not, I feel so sorry, like, not, I feel sorry for the guy. You do, but it's a specific thing that you feel sorry for. You know exactly what he's going to have to go through. And at which point... Um, an Italian stranger turned around to me and just uh, told me that black people weren't as strong as white people and we shouldn't have sent them to take the penalties. Um, I just told him, look, I'm not doing this, and rather unpolitely told him to go away. Um, He was less keen to go away, but eventually got the hint. Um, But I would love to be able to say that that was the only instance of racism that that we saw in that night, but it definitely wasn't. Uh, Now, for to paint you a picture, I was I think I was quite brave. I went to the pub in my England shirt on my own, surrounded by Italian fans. No, guys, this is this is we're gonna take a break from the grim shit. We're gonna go right back at it. It's gonna be a long bit. But Rory, you're a fucking hero, man. I would (laughs) like. The the grim shit aside, I could not picture myself in the same situation at a pub in London. In London, nor in Nottingham, nor in any other English city, the only one supporting England in that bar was Rory, sat on his corner. He managed not to celebrate when England scored, just like became red like a fucking tomato. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> his brains are going to explode. But Rory, no, you're a fucking hero. I wouldn't have lasted 120 minutes inside that place. But please continue. Yeah, it felt it was quite a weird experience. And I think on the whole, people were very kind of positive. Um, I feel like if England had won, maybe I would have been chased out of the place. But on the whole, people were quite positive and responded well to it. Only when we were 1 0 up, maybe some songs came out about the English and stuff, but it's fine. Um, but the moment that really upset me, and there was a few moments, but there was it started um, mainly when Bakayo Saka came onto the pitch. Now, as I've said, Saka is easily my favorite, my most favorite player at the moment. I feel a lot of attachment for that guy. I think he's been like a really positive, incredibly positive experience. Like, influence in the England camp and in England in general across the media people have seemed to really have fallen in love with him but the the second he came onto the pitch the monkey noises started um now it started with two or three idiots in the corner they were 18 19 um but then it, it thankfully it stopped for a bit um but then it slowly started to pick up again, a few different tables slowly getting involved with the monkey chance. Now, some people might say I should have stood up and said something, but I, was, I want to stress how outnumbered I was in this room. A part of me still feels guilty about not saying something. Um, but I noticed it happened more with Saka than it did with Sterling, for example, which I found interesting because I think there's like a grade for these morons on like how black you are determines how much abuse you deserve. I don't know. It was 
awful. And I had a person next to me making horrific jokes the entire time. Um, honestly, I feel disappointed that I didn't say something. I just had to get up and move. Um, but it completely, completely, as you can imagine, ruined the night for me. I think even if England had won, the night would have been ruined by having to go through that experience. I think I have very few memories of hearing racism at football. Uh, Crew Alex, there was always a few people that would sing songs about um, Indian people or Pakistani people, but they were usually, it was two or three and they stopped fairly quickly. I can't really remember being around much racism at football. Since I've been to Italy, and I'm going to bring you in at this point, Tommy, since I've been to Italy, I've definitely noticed it more. At Inter, I've definitely heard it in multiple matches, but I was surprised to hear it in a bar. I don't know why I was more surprised to hear it in a bar, but I just found it really jarring. And because, well, it it disgusted me anyway, but because Saka also happens to be someone that I absolutely love, it just really, really, really upset me. Yeah, and the fact we're going to get on during the football section of the pod, because there is going to be a football section of the pod, we're going to get on the penalty itself. In my opinion, he shouldn't have taken that penalty. No, and no. I mean, well, you he, I mean, to miss a penalty, that's what Baggio said infamously, to miss a penalty, you need to have the guts to take it. And that mm-hmm. 19 years old to carry the weight of your entire country on your shoulders, that shows that you've got some balls. He's definitely got a bright future ahead of him. So I was telling my American friends, listeners of the pod last night, how bad I felt about these episodes. So I've lived in the United States for the better part of two years of my life. And um, I've become like an advocate against the stereotypes against American people. I really can't stand when Ameri- when the average European says Americans are so fucking dumb. Like, mm. how can this shit happen? Only in the US, they're so fucking stupid. They're all fat. And I'm like, and many times they ask me, they're just like, Tommaso, you've lived there. Explain to me why this has happened. And I try to tell them that, like, it's wrong to generalize too much. It's wrong to make stereotypes. You got to go there and try to understand the culture. And even then, like, I don't have the answers to those questions. But I fight so much to show also the positive sides of that country that whenever another high school shootout happens, I'm like, oh, fuck, guys. Like, I've been working mm-hmm. my ass off 24 7 to, to bring a good picture of your country. And then this shit happens. That's the same with football. Like, we've had an episode about my grandfather, who was a sports broadcaster. But I've seen over the years, my mom, his daughter, fall out of love with football. My father, fall out of love with football. For multiple reasons. Many were heartbreak because of Inter Milan. But also, they were just like, Tommaso, you're a very smart guy. Like, why are you so into football? It's like an environment where ignorance is almost blessed. Mm. You know, like, there are so many people fighting and we're going to cover that very soon too there is so much racism and every time that i try to like say no but think about the beauty of it like when you go to the stadium to the pub it's you sitting next to a cop sitting next to a drug dealer and you're all cheering on for the same cause then Mm -hmm. this shit happens and i'm like man there is i cannot explain it and what i can say is that unfortunately ignorance is the mom of the the mother of ignorance is always pregnant we could say Mm -hmm. and i do feel bad i do feel bad that also like looking back at it because rory was in massive distress and just to let you know just to tell you how crazy this is i think that by going to the stadium i've kind of like gotten used to it to the point Mm -hmm. that i noticed it way less than rory did and 
I'm sure that we were both pretty drunk, but I can't imagine that Rory was seeing things that I wasn't. So it's just like I heard it once and I was just like, that's grim. I hope it stops. But then it was a pretty big room. There were different groups of people. I totally believe that they kept going. And imagine my brain kind of blocked that memory out and mm-hmm. I didn't even notice it. Um, it's despicable. It's stupid. And it was such a good game of football. Yeah, It was such a spectacle for the sport itself that seeing it stained by the ignorance of these people was really, man. And I felt super bad because Rory was really in distress. It was just like, man, look, I would even change my shirt and come to Duomo to look at the celebrations. But like, it's gone too far. It's not even excusable anymore. It wasn't one person. It wasn't two. It was like groups of people. Like, I cannot be around these people anymore. And I understand it. And I feel ashamed about my country for that. And I want to say another thing. We're going to cover that in the footballing part. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say something very heavy. But I... I mean, Chiellini, we're going to cover that, top defender. And he played that yellow card greatly on Baka Yosaka pulling his shirt. Like, at a point, like, the tactics go out the window. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like that, too. So, praise Chiellini for what he did. But I've seen that image a little too many times on social media already. And I think that it's picked up on social media so much also because it's a young black player Mm -hmm. being pretty much strangled by a big white man first time i say it out loud and it sounds even worse no mate i think you're absolutely spot on that is an image that racists are going to fucking love and it is i've seen it a few times shared with where the meme has just been a bit too close to the bone or a bit too like you're really loving this image i think look we can we can <laughs> it's the most cynical of fouls people who are calling it a red card no it's not a red card it's just a very annoying yellow card a very annoying yellow card it's a very cynical foul but yeah i think you're right with that it's becoming a meme for people they can use it for their own ends now um but if you're ashamed of your country and, and, and we sorry can, yeah then, then we will move to the england side of the racism <laughs> God damn it. Um, I wish, it see, man, I wish we didn't have to talk about this, but about that, like, what also stains that image so much is that Chiellini, I, 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 he's a good guy. After, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a yeah, good yeah, yeah. player. And he just played a foul on a fucking random dude that was running yeah. towards the goal. Yeah, it yeah, could yeah. have been fucking hurricane. I don't care. But, like, yeah, yeah. the fact that right now it's picked up so much, it makes me think, had it been any another player, I don't think it would have picked up that much. But no, let, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. And if it had been Benucci doing it, it would have been an even more powerful image. I think <laughs> because but, it would have been a punch to the to the, to the <laughs> chest as well. Yeah. But talking about being ashamed of your country in the preview pod, I was talking about how this team has made me feel kind of almost proud to be English again. They're showing the best of England. They're they're led by this charismatic kind of leader who is able to unify people, get people heading towards a a goal. We've got a team made of people doing things, more things for society than politicians, people donating to NHS, people being positive influences in their communities. This is a team that is the best of England and we don't deserve them. We do not deserve them. We have shown, our fans have shown that we do not deserve nice things. The Wembley, the what happened at Wembley on Sunday was absolutely horrific. Now, there's rumors 
that this happened on the semi-final against Denmark as well, but people just didn't talk about it. So if unless you're if you're unaware, a couple hundred, nearly, I saw somewhere nearly maybe around a thousand fans managed to break into the stadium and they got into the stadium where the fans where the players' families were, right? Um now there have since been reports of sexual assault. Um a steward had a knife pulled on him. There was various fights, lots of videos of fights in the Wembley concourse. Now, this is a co- we're, we are in a country that has seen many, many footballing disasters, from Hillsborough, which was a crush. I know it's not the same um, country, but the Ibrox disaster as well. We've seen the Bradford City disaster. We have seen a lot of disasters in our stadiums, and our fans still refuse to learn the lesson of n- not turning up to a ground without a ticket. Right. If you haven't got a ticket, I don't like there is no defense for what you have done. I've seen people say, oh, but they were drunk. That's not the excuse. Around 60 million people in the UK were drunk at the weekend. Right. Not all of them tried to get into the fucking stadium. The the root problem is that you're a dickhead. That's the root problem. Not alcohol, not cocaine, not whatever else you're on. The problem is you as a person. Right. And these people have come in, they've raided themselves, they've raided into the stadium. And there've been reports of children crying, asking to go home because they don't want to, they just don't want to be there anymore. I think Mancini's brother had to wait for one of, for a crowd of people to get kicked out before he got his seat. Like they just took over the whole place. People were having to sit on the stairs. Now, beyond the safety issues and like threatening staff that are on eight pound ninety an hour that just aren't paid enough to put up with your shit. England are trying to get the World Cup in 2030, right? That's not going to happen anymore. You have just put a bullet in the back of the head of our World Cup bid because there is no way that FIFA are going to look and go, they can organise a tournament because the English fans, and look, I know we have a huge problem with our drinking culture. I like our drinking culture to an extent, right? Me and my friends go out and get drunk. We have a great time. But whenever there is a festival atmosphere in the UK without fail, some people take it too far. And I don't think you see it as bad in other countries as you do in England. It is without fail. The pictures from Leicester Square, it started off as a bit of a party. It ended with bottles being thrown and it was basically a war zone. Every time there is an event like this, people hijack it. And before you say it's a, it's a minority, it is a minority, but it's a bigger minority than we want to admit it is. This is a lot of people that are doing this. And before we even get to sending the racist abuse and racist chants, we as a country need to realize how big a problem we have. We thought we'd put pay to hooliganism. We thought we'd led the line for Europe of how to deal with football hooligans and how to make your stadium safe. Well, it turns out it's never that far away and we need to look at it again because these people, they should be banned from stadiums for life. They should not be able to go to football again. They've put people in danger and they've, sexual assault pulling knives on people this is not this is not football this is wankers hijacking something for their own ends and it happens every fucking time in england and it just drives me mad and now the team have made me proud but the country has made me so ashamed and even when my last point before i finish Even in the bar, I was talking to one of your friends and we were looking at kind of some of the funny videos from the day and he just turned around to me and went, well, that's what the English are known for, right? That's that's what the English do. 
And I know that we, I know it, but just having someone turn around to you and reinforce it to you or confirm it to you, hearing it out loud, I was like, that's how people see us now. And I think the person I talked about earlier who said that horrific racist comment to me said that to me because he thought, oh, he's English. He'll agree with me. And now I'm not going to get into Brexit and the politics and our politicians that are fucking ruining it all. But I think this is, these are all linked, right? These are all linked. And I think our opinion, the opinion of us abroad is at a rock bottom. People cannot think worse of the English than they do right now. And I think as a country, we need to think about how we can change this. But it's just, it's been a big two, big two days, guys. Big two days. Look, I've got a few things to say, but like this is the last thing that i want to make england sound like horror county and italy is just like chill place um but i'll start from i'll try to cover everything that i want to say i want to start from the videos of the battering of the italian fans outside of wembley i've seen violence at the stadium in italy outside the stadium but every time that i've seen it was between between organized supporters so ultras we call them in italy mm -hmm. they usually pick a spot and the place and they beat the shit out of each other but i've rarely seen violence towards like random people wearing a shirt of another team the battering that i saw at wembley that like three minute video there are people like walking outside with their hands up and people with their belts like slap like hitting them in the face mm -hmm. and kicking them on the ground that was brutal to see. I had to stop watching the video. It was just like, what the fuck? Like, and this is not organized, the supporters. These are just like people that are so fucking angry and so fucking coked up or drunk or just like too much in the moment that they just don't think and they turn in, they turn violent. One thing that I struggle to understand about England, and I, I don't know, it's like, the, it's kind of funny. There is this image of England of the queen, the prince, the princess, Buckingham Palace, tea at 5 p.m. But then it's just like there is this, un this very grim and dark underbelly of violence, racism, more violence, and more like uncontrollable drunkenness, which is the line where drunkenness is not fun anymore and it becomes mm -hmm. scary. But I want to say about my country too, like... Italy have really, really disappointed me with the institutional decision to not take the knee at these Euros. For the fact, just the fact that it gets to, to be an institutional decision, like the government has to come in and say, no, what you're doing is wrong because in some way it's against the police force. Dude, it's a knee against fucking racism. And there is, it's a symbol, and you're not saying that all cops are bastards. You're just saying that you're kneeling down because you believe that racism is bad. I do believe that I live in a pretty racist country as well. And uh, the other night, I noticed it even more. And it's just like disgusting that we have to spend almost 30 minutes talking about this shit. And I wonder what we can actually do to, to make it stop because it, apparently education is not enough. And both Rory and I are teachers. And whenever I can, like, I talk a lot about geography as well. I talk a lot about history as well. Mm -hmm. I try to, like, 
raise awareness about the fact that we are a worldwide community of many different colors, but in the end, we're all people. I try to play my part, but at this point, it's getting frustrating because it's just like, apparently, the part that we're playing is not enough. We need more. But my question is, what can we do more? Now, we're going to get to the online racial abuse. And I'm sorry, guys, if I'm like... This is something that I need to improve if I want to keep having a podcast. I'm not very good at making points. I have so many like emotions running in my head. I'm the same. It's like a pinball machine. Yeah, it's just like, but yeah, we're going to get to the online racial abuse. I did see a proposition today, a petition that I don't know how we feel about, about Mm. requiring uh, like an ID whenever you open an Instagram or Twitter account. Rory, what is your thought about it? My worries are like, who gets that information who's that information going to um there's just the first question i think look how you solve online abuse is for someone who gets paid much more than me i think i saw something online i've bookmarked it on my tweets i've not sat and read it yet about someone's created a piece of software that could just eliminate racist or you could use a filter that you just wouldn't see it. Now, that doesn't stop people doing it but maybe if they know you don't see it they they would stop doing it. I don't know. Um Though you're talking about your government's decision. Well, our our players, again, I've been very proud of them and they've insisted on doing it. Our government came out and, well, our government, Boris Johnson and Priti Patel, both came out and said that people have the right to boo uh, when they when they take the knee and have now since tweeted condemning people who are who have been racist to the players online. Now, the Aston Villa defender and England uh, defender, Time. Mings absolutely two-footed Pretty Patel yesterday in a tweet and just said you do not get to stoke the fires before the tournament and then condemn when the results of what you've done have happened right um so I think again really proud of our players but again the government haven't acted enough about this and People are it like you. A lot of people might say politics doesn't affect doesn't affect their lives, or it's not important for me. I don't vote. Who cares? But people still take their example from their leaders. And if your leaders are showing that kind of attitude, then it doesn't matter how much education you're giving to to kids. The adults are, are, are thinking they can just get away with saying what they like. So I think it's education is the key. Education is the key. It's not going to be fast results. It's never going to be fast results. It's just perseverance with education teaching the future generations so that when our generation has gone and left this mortal coil hopefully we leave behind a generation who are accepting who do like diversity who are more tolerant that's what it's for it's for the generations that are after us we're not gonna like we all know people who are racist and they're gonna be here until they're not right like they're going to be racist until they're not here anymore. If you know what I mean? I think it's about waiting for those generations in the future. Unfortunately, we're just going to have to find a way to try and deal with it online in the meantime. And I think that is where the social media companies need to come in. If they can, I have shared copyrighted videos on Twitter and had those tweets deleted in less than two minutes. If they can do that, there is no, no excuse for them not being able to delete racist and abusive tweets and not even just racist, homophobic, whatever it is, um, messages, abusive messages to people, they can do it. They just don't want to do it because it will affect their traffic. Yeah. The thing is that 
of course, online abuse, it's much more convenient for racists because you are blocked. You're hidden behind a fake identity most of the times. You so, can't get punched in the face. Exactly. People have people have grown up not learning that you can speak and say what you like without getting punched in the face. And that's the problem. That is the problem. And man, like we're going to get to the actual game itself. But really when I did think about the same thing about Saka, I was just like, this is horrible. The fact that this guy does not only have to worry about his football, but he's going to have to worry about the color of his skin in 2021, which however, right now where you were speaking, I was like, yeah, we're not going to get it done in our generation because like, the end of slavery was not that long ago. Like the no. end of apartheid was not that long ago. Like we are still, we still have these, we're still carrying this burden of racism and it's still very apparent in our society. Many Italian politicians are super fucking racist as well. I'm going to say the name, Matteo Salvini and all of his buddies. They're Meloni, what's her name? Meloni, that woman? Meloni, 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 yeah. Meloni. Yeah, man, it's it's just ridiculous, and it's honestly it's just sad and ugly. And the fact that for two football heads like us, we were not almost able. Like it took me until last night to when I was driving back here to the mountains to like call a friend and just think about the football game. I was like, all mm-hmm. right, I've wrapped, I've tried to wrap my hand around all the racism that has happened uh, uh, across the past the 24 hours now i can focus on the actual game which is not what we're going to do right now right away because we also wanted to talk about another thing that happened in this tournament the big lgbtiq plus i got them all i hope (laughs) um, community uh when wefa refused to have the rainbow colors around the alliance arena wefa says a lot of wrong shit but I have to say that the excuse that they had this one time around made a little bit of sense. They said, you're not doing it for Pride Month. You would be doing it because you're playing against Hungary, who have just passed a super controversial bill. Mm-hmm. And so your decision is becoming political, and we don't want to get political in here. Still, I think that if I should just shut the fuck up and let it happen. Like, be like... Send a message like, guys, we kind of agree with you, but don't just do it. Just like there's going to be a light switch at the fucking Allianz Arena, right? And you can be just like, guys, pretend this conversation never happened. Theoretically, we cannot allow you to do it, but do it anyways, right? But the fact that it becomes, again, an institutional decision not to make it makes it all the worse, in my opinion. I just don't know why Munich asked for permission. They should have just done it. But I think UEFA, well, if they're saying we don't want politics in sport, well, you are then, you're defending a dictator. You are upset or you're afraid of upsetting a dictator. And and that's what Orban is, right? It may not be official, but all the legislation he's brought into that country, everything he's done, that is a dictatorship. By doing, by UEFA refusing that request, they are saying we do not want to upset this guy and he is like yeah he's a dictator and it's the same for putin they didn't want to upset russia either and it's so when you say you don't want politics in football too late you're playing politics in football like so i think it was it just incredibly like you you wait for manager every opportunity to just get it completely tone deaf and get it completely wrong i think 
Look, Munich, if I was in charge of the stadium, I would have just done it and just not asked for permission. But I think it just shows that basically all they do is pay lip service. All they do is they go, they put a respect patch on the arm and they do a little advert where there's lots of different people and different genders and different colors. And they all say the game's for everyone and they put loads of money into this advertising campaign. But then when it comes to it, they just don't do anything. So I think we... How quickly UEFA have turned from the saviors of football to the Death Star again has been absolutely an incredible 180. Um, but and, I can't say I'm surprised. That will be for another pod, but also all the talks about the Super League are becoming very funny now that we are looking at PSG's transfer market this summer. It's just like, wait, was the storyline? What was the storyline? Football is for the kids. The kids must be able to dream. Yeah. Imagine a kid supporting Bordeaux in France. Like, what are you supposed to be dreaming about? <laughs> to go watch Bordeaux PSG because you're going to see 11 star players like playing in front of you. That's going to be your new dream, buddy. Nothing more than that. <laughs> but um, uh, no, the thing, man, I just wanted to make a little joke about Germans. They, they fucked it up. They are too. They stick too much to the rules. They were like, right? Colorate. We just need to send that fax to Wipa <laughs> and that for permission. <laughs> Italians wouldn't have even thought about turning the stadium rainbow colors. They wouldn't have thought about it. But if they had, maybe they would have in a hundred years. They would have just turned the lights for each other and like fuck it. <laughs> yeah, there's no way they're asking for permission. There's no way they're asking for permission. Look, I but, think. Look, the, we wanted to do. We want. We wanted to do a football podcast, and I know <laughs> that I'm not qualified to talk about these things. I hope that what I've said has sounded fairly coherent and sensible, and like I hope it. None of it has been as ham-fisted as a UEFA statement, but we <laughs> felt like we needed to talk about it. I've yeah, got it off Rory my back is, about Rory's, English people Rory's and the, the government. Rory is the better half of the pod when it comes to having point made from a to b i'm just I'm like, more black so <laughs> i think you're very kind I you're very kind but i think for now um we're gonna leave it here for this part um we're definitely gonna separate we're gonna have a little bit of a break <laughs> have a bit yeah. of a, a kind of loosen ourselves up and then we're gonna go and actually talk about the football so guys we'll see you on the other side and italy win their second European Championship at Wembley after a spectacular game of football, in my opinion. Rory, there were a lot of talks about the cup coming home, but the funny thing is that you just had to fucking keep it there. It was literally <laughs> right there. You had to keep it there. You didn't have to go anywhere, and you didn't manage to do it. <laughs> We did manage to fuck it right up. Um, I think it was the classic English football cliche of, oh, you've scored too early there. I think you've scored too early. Look, that was a great start. Beautiful move. And I think that goal was incredible. Not being able to celebrate it was physically painful. But um, it was a great start from England. The first 20 minutes, we were absolutely all over Italy. And I thought... It was the best way we could have started that game. Italy kept dropping passes. Our midfield, Declan Rice, was just unbelievable. He was playing like prime Beckenbauer, just getting the ball, dribbling it past the player, um, playing the pass. Luke Shaw was fantastic. They could not get a hold of him. Harry Kane's hold-up play was amazing. I think all of our players started really, really well. The first 20 minutes were fantastic. But I think the problem was, once we scored the goal, we just sat back. And we just thought, let's get to half time, and then we'll see where we are. Mancini then makes the changes, 
and we don't adjust. Now, I don't know what your view of the first half was, but at halftime, I was trying to be very like magnanimous and like, look, anything can happen here. This does not mean we've won. But I thought in general, I was very happy with our play and I thought, okay, keep this up. Maybe try and be a bit more positive, but keep this up and we can win this. How did you see the first half? So the first half, well, I saw it from a pub right across you, <laughs> right across from you. But no, the first half, I was just like, uh-oh. Well, it happens to me sometimes that maybe a lesson that I have is not as good as the day before. But to unlearn how to explain the present continues, that has never happened to me. The feeling that I had was that the Italian players had lost their talent, a space jam type of thing. So the mm-hmm. in Italian we say cold shower, probably you say it in English too. That goal was a cold shower. Right off mm-hmm. the bat, two minutes later, you we had, Italy hadn't trailed in hours of effective football played. And all of a sudden you find yourself trailing against England at their national stadium. And I'm just like, fuck. Well, let's show them what we've got. And it was nothing was happening. And they were missing easy passes. I wish I, I would have to rewatch the entire game, but there was a moment. I'm just going to say two random names: Jorginho and Di Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Quick pass to the sideline. Uh, Di Lorenzo passes it back to Jorginho. It's obvious that Jorginho is going to pass it back to him. The ball is out. I'm just like, guys, what the fuck are you doing? So the first half, England dominated it. They were they looked confident. They looked calm. They looked like we're on, they were on to a second one. And then when ha- like I was just waiting for halftime to come, and then I wish I I mean I hope that they're going to release maybe footage of what Mancini said in the locker room at halftime, mm-hmm. but it must have been along the lines of "All right, guys, I understand the cold shower, but it looks like you don't know how to play football anymore." Declan Rice, man of the first half, big time. Barella, Verratti, Jorginho, they were unexisting. Declan Rice was running the midfield. England was consistent. They were playing well. They were changing the way they were playing a lot. Luke Shaw was a constant threat. And Italy just looked in dire straits. At halftime, however, it was just like a sent a voice message to the United States. It was just like, guys, this is not over. This is Italy. We're not going out without a fight. The second half is going to be a different story. And it was. The second half, I believe, when the goal came... There was a feeling that something was in the air for a very long time before that. Man, that second half was rough. So, like, the first half, I just just kind of made, like, a little comment. I think I turned around to Tommy at one point and was like, oh, it's very quiet in here. People have got very quiet. Um, And that was the most I kind of got, that was the closest I got to celebrating. But trust me, it was a lot louder second half. Um, That second half was, from my point of view, was absolute torture that was 45 minutes of italy just bombarding us we it was like a body swap comedy where we'd just gone and all of a sudden italy were on it and we could not complete three passes and it was just the possession was ridiculous all of a sudden chiesa was like a danger it seemed like he wasn't really there first half second half all of a sudden he was on it he was tearing holes in our midfield and i think we've talked about it before like when a team sets out really negatively you, it's impossible to go from reverse to fifth gear, right? It's yeah. so hard to get, to, to kind of turn the tide. And I think that's what happened with England because we finished towards the end of the second half. I think in the la- the end of the first half, sorry, the last two minutes, Italy had two or three chances where they could have equalized. I think Italy did wake up towards the end of the first half. 
So I think when you come out to the second half and Italy are just straight back on it again, we couldn't really turn that tide. And then this is where the managers come in, right? I think Mancini managed the game really well. And I think Southgate, he he didn't respond to those changes. Now we can go through the substitutions, but the one that really surprised me was Cristante, right? I thought when he brought off, I can't remember who he took off. Was it Barella? Barella, yeah. Because Barella had not had a good game. And I would argue he hadn't had a good semi-final either. I think he didn't really play well in the last two games. But he He hadn't... Tired as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he... Holiday, big time. (laughs) Well, the videos, the pictures of him after the celebrations, he looked like he's in full holiday mood, like sunglasses and a bottle of beer in his hand. So good on you, Nicola. Fair play. But I think... Um, I was surprised, and honestly, a part of me was like, oh, Barella off, sweet, Cristante on, nice, I'll take that. And it completely changed the game, because it meant that Cristante could physically match Declan Rice, and that left space for Jorginho and Verratti. They had more space in midfield, and all of a sudden, Italy could keep the ball better. I think that that substitution really, really turned the game on its head. Um, How did you see it, Tommy? Well, this is my theory of how the game went. So... England are a very young team, and they were one of the revelations of these Euros. Everybody knew that they had a star-studded squad, but I don't know how many people, besides English fans, who were very mouthy about it, I don't know how many many people actually saw England getting all the way to the final. Now, this young team, I can imagine... Like, people around them are just like, oh, man, Italy is going to be a tough opponent. Like, Italy is going to be super tough. Like, Italy have got a history. We are this unbreakable defense. We make life hell for every team that we play. And all of a sudden, you've got all these things in mind, and you go 1-0 up right away. And not only that, but you're also controlling the fucking game. Mm -hmm. So I think that in the players' minds, it was just like there was a little bit, rightfully so, of arrogance building up. Like, is this the team that we were so supposed to be so terrified mm-hmm. of? Because we're one nil up and they are nowhere near our goal. Like, they're not shooting. They're not shooting in general, let alone on target. We are running the game. We are at home. We've got our supporters. This is ours. It's ours already. Then, at halftime, I, once again, I wish I knew what Mancini told the players. But the Italy that took the pitch, they were just like, all right, we're nil-nil and we're starting the game again. And they started the game again. And then I feel like English players were just like, oh, fuck. Now I understand what everybody means about this team Mm -hmm. that makes it hell, that intercepts passes, that just like battles it out with these two incredible center backs. Now we understand. And as they are understanding more and more and more, the goal comes and that absolutely broke England's legs, I think, in my opinion. And I think it was, way- a, it, was a, it was a huge moment, but how do you think Mancini managed the game? Do you think his, like, I think he, he really, his in-game management was absolutely fantastic. Well, Mancini, man, he's a player, number one, he was a football player with a lot of experience, like being around, one of the youngest debutants in, in Italian football mm-hmm. for a very long time. I believe until when Balotelli debuted. So he's a man that definitely knows his football. He's he's a staff like uh, Vialli. He was his uh, goal-scoring partner at Sampdoria. You've got the experience of De Rossi. These are people that have played football for a long time, and they know how to win competitions. The Cristante move, when we saw it, me and my friends were just like, oh, fuck it. Like, Cristante has literally played like 25 minutes of football these Euros. Mm-hmm. 
But I feel like Mancini pinpointed the threat in Declan Rice. And it was just like, I'm simply a, a, a rule as old as football itself. I'm just going to put centimeters against centimeters. And mm-hmm. that's going to leave more space to the two guys because our midfield is short as fuck. And that's, I think those are the two things that we had to worry about England. Their physicality and their speed. Mm-hmm. The speed was there all along, but then Italy were able to curb it by were able to curb it in the second half more. And the Cristante was just like, all right, man, I'm going to put a big dude on a big dude, and that's going to create a sort of a dam, and it's going to allow the sides to play to play the ball more. Mm-hmm. And you saw it that that move alone gave space to Insigne, gave space to Chiesa. And about Chiesa, man, you were praising him earlier. I think that we've got two players, and this is kind of uncommon in Italy, like... A lot of good players sometimes fuck up on the big stage, but Chiesa and Donnarumma, they've got the Mamba mentality, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one, even in the first half, the only one, he had a double dribble on Declan Rice, went towards goal on his own, shot with his left, the, the ball went out by one meter maximum. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, holy shit, like, God bless this guy. Like, he's got really fire in his belly, even more so now that we're one nil down. Too bad he had to be subbed for for an injury and then i think mancini was very brave in taking out immobile and uh, putting in berardi and kind of changing completely italy's setup because at that point um because at that point we we kind of insigne moved more to the middle of the pitch and uh, even though he wasn't able to create that many chances it allowed for the team to play better so yeah mancini managed the game very well unlike his english counterpart gareth yeah I feel like we just waited too long. Our first substitution was in the 70th minute. So it's Italy score in the 67th. Shortly beforehand, they've brought on Berardi and Cristante, as we said. That, so they brought those players on in the 54th minute. There's 10 minutes there, 13 minutes there, where Southgate hasn't reacted. And we can see the game shifting. And I think Italy score in the 67th and we make our first in the 70th. By that point, it's kind of like the game's already shifted. And I think within the bar, people were celebrating that goal like it was the winner. And honestly, I felt at that time, Italy have won it. Like, we were only ever going to win this (laughs) 1-0. Like, the second you equalised, I was like, we're done now. We're done. And I think, look, the substitutions he made, it was awful that he had to take off Declan Rice, but the guy was blowing out of his arse. He had put in such a shift, which shows how much we were losing the midfield battle. Like Declan Rice can run for 120 minutes, but by the 75th minute, we were having to take him off because he'd been doing so much work because he'd been overrun. He brings in Jordan Henderson. Look, steady the, steady the tail, kind of, you know, let's try and hold back the tide in midfield. I like that substitution. He takes off Trippier, brings on Saka, more attacking. I think Saka had a, an influence, but not as much as we would have liked. But he did definitely influence the game. I think England were much better in extra time. Um, We just about survived the second half. I think in extra time, once we bring on Grealish, for Mason Mount, who for me, Mason Mount should have been dragged a lot earlier. I don't know how he was on the pitch for so long. I've talked about him before. I'm not going to say, like, I know... I know he must be a good player because lots of people say he's a good player, but I still am yet to see evidence of having been that good a player. I don't know. I don't watch that much Chelsea. Chelsea fans are going to hate me because he is their boy. But I think he was just completely anonymous. And arguably, if 
if Declan Rice hadn't have been knackered, I think Southgate should have been taking Mount off at that point. Um, but I think <laughs> Gareth Southgate is learning lessons every tournament. He's had two tournaments now and he's learned lessons. But what does worry me is that this defeat felt very like the defeat to Croatia. Now, we took the lead and we then struggled against a team that dominated the ball. And I think we need to be able to either dominate possession or learn a way to deal with teams when they're dominating possession. Because in both times, we've taken the lead, they've equalised. Or both times, we've taken the lead, we've sat back, they've equalised, and then we've not been able to do anything else. So I think they're quite similar defeats. It's just one match later. So I hope that Southgate is learning lessons. I think he's still done a fantastic job. He's a great England manager. I'm not saying anything about his job. I just think he needs to be learning these lessons because he's come up against an elite coach in Mancini who's won Premier Leagues, won Serie A's, won the Russian Premier League, whatever. He's won everywhere he's gone. So it, we, he was just outcoached at that point or outmanaged, I think. Yeah, and the, man, the, the thing is that the first half, it felt like freshness in England players, like mm -hmm. very young England players, was defeating experience big time. It felt for a second that Italy's experience was finally going to be defeated by the freshness of this very young and enthusiastic team. In the second half, it felt like a lesson for for generations to see, like, when you've got experience, you're already halfway there. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, enthusiasm yeah. is just going to get you that far. But when you've got experience... And, man, that goal... It made it all the sweeter. Like it wasn't. Oh, a, I hate that it goal. wasn't a beautiful individual play. It was just sheer fucking determination. In every, you gotta fight for every ball. Like that goal. Besides, great Pickford save. But who was that save on? Verratti header. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the players were just like, you've got the ball pinging in the penalty box. You just throw your body in there. I think it was the first time that Verratti ever touched the ball with his head in his entire career, and that resulted in Pickford making a save. Ball on the post and the calm with which oh, Bonucci felt like one minute before he knew exactly where the ball mm -hmm. was. And he just lots it in. And man, that celebration, he didn't... It's he pretty rinsed, cold. That is a cold he, celebration, he rinsed, man. He rinsed his mouth afterwards, but how he stood up flexing his biceps, I was just like, oh my God. I forgot for a second that I fucking hate Bonucci. Yeah, at, yeah, the same time, yeah. at the same time, I did message this to Michael today and it was like, Tommaso, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, you're insulting yourself on your own and I love it, but holy shit, I didn't expect it. If I were... A football player, I believe that I would be sort of motherfucker like Bonucci, dude. Like I would be. As long so... as you're not spouting racist nonsense like he does, I don't think there's anything massively wrong with it. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, even like his club choices, like leaving Inter Milan and spouting shit on Inter Milan, then leaving Juventus <laughs> to Milan, and then like everybody hates Bonucci in Italy. It's the only player that can be hated on by a stewardess at Wembley as well. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. fucking hates him. But I would have that same like fucking grit if I was a player. And like I would celebrate flexing my biceps big time. <laughs> and I do believe that if Bonucci was not a football player, he would have been a loud motherfucker like myself at that bar, just like keeping the chance going and then like just like <laughs> talking random people in Piazza Duomo like 
I don't know, just like being loud and drunk. Yeah, I think I think we we've got something in common. Unfortunately, when I told this to Michael, he was just like Tommy. Oh my god, what? Are yeah, you I don't know how to react to that, man. You've got a kindred spirit, but um, fair play. You know, it felt like a very Benucci goal. I felt like, oh, of course, it's Benucci who's got that goal. I don't know. It was um, it was, was heartbreaking. Interesting but- thing about our most hated on a player who is always a center back that wins his finals materazzi in 2006 yeah find a person that is not myself who liked materazzi he wins us he scores a header from a corner kick and the penalty kick bonucci and gets the dance sent off and gets the dance sent off um <laughs> bonucci scored the equalizer nailed this penalty i see a lot of similarities in there Ita- italian defenses man it's just like there is a narrative around it that is never it's in- it's it's insane. I think people are now going to rightfully so look back at this Chiellini-Bonucci partnership and be like, that's one of the great defensive partnerships. Um, they are just both absolute monsters. Chiellini, I'm developing a real bromance for, not only just for the, it's the history of Tottenham, but because he like all these interviews, he comes across as a really cool guy. His like, mind games with Jordi Alba and even... The England fans fucking booing the Italian national anthem. He's just stood there, eyes closed, big smile on his face. I was like, this guy is coming. He's coming for the neck. He is not going to fuck about. Like, And I really, really like him. I think their partnership is fantastic. That it was a pain. He had, on, he had on Sterling, I believe, at the death of the second half. Like he, the Sterling dribbled mm. in. He was like in front of Donnarumma. No, no, Chiellini's not gone. He just like literally dropped like an elephant on the <laughs> ground and managed to get the ball with his foot. No foul, ball is out, clearance by Ed Emerson, and that was beautiful to see. But yeah, man, so the 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 goal that Italy scored was just like it was just like you see a sweaty goal. It was a sweaty goal. I can believe you're gonna get that goal. And when you did tell me, Tommy, you've been celebrating this goal for 20 minutes, I was like, I don't know if you heard me, but I was like, Rory, haven't you understood when we score a goal? It's like we've, we've scored two, and that was the feeling. And it felt like the yeah. players were really absorbing the atmosphere for the from the pub we were at. But again, like sometimes I was feeling too confident, and I was like, we're still one-one. And it it takes a one stupid goal. To there was the game. There was a moment when I was stood there and I was like, I was very quiet, worried, almost depressed, and the pub was going wild. And I was like, wait, we're not even losing yet. We're in the same situation. We're both in the same situation. We're level, right? The, everyone's going off like they've already won the thing, and I'm stood there going, oh god, this is the worst thing in the world. And I thought, well, no, we. If we get a goal, all these fuckers shut up pretty quickly, right? I was like, it seemed really bizarre. But then I said, we've said it before, there was a feeling about Italy in this tournament. And I said it before the final. I said, I just think Italy are going to win it. No matter what happens, Italy are going to win it. And I think there was that belief in the pub, especially when that first goal went in. I was like, ah, we've sacked it. The worst nightmare for me was for us to get to penalties. Um, Spoiler alert, we got to penalties. But first, we need to go through extra time. Now, I think... Extra time was definitely more even. I feel like both teams, it was cagey, but both teams definitely had chances. I remember a few opportunities where I thought, we could get this, we could snatch one. Um, But I think it felt fairly inevitable from the beginning that we are going to end up at penalties, right? Yeah, I don't know, man. There is this thing about overtime. Like, sometimes it just feels like you know already that you're going to get to penalties. And... In that game, it was feeling like, guys, you can't even like whistle the 
you can whistle now and go to penalties yeah. directly. Nothing is going to happen. Because I felt like, and this is a huge praise to England, it felt like both teams were on it 100%. Like, mm-hmm. there were a few opportunities, but there weren't massive slips like, oh, shit, in, like Belotti in front of Pickford and he missed. No, there was yeah, never yeah. a clean situation. There were a few. There was a beautiful, I think that was still second uh, uh, second half, a beautiful lob by Bonucci and the Bellani, mm-hmm. like hitting it over the crossbar. Um, there were a few chances like that. Sterling had a few very good dribbles, but nothing that you're just like, oh shit, a goal is coming. It just felt like penalties were inevitable, yeah. Yeah, the only thing that in uh, extra time kind of annoyed me was Jorginho should, should have been sent off. There's no argument for that not being a red card. That's a fucking red card. That is like studs up into Jack Grealish's knee. That is, I cannot believe he was still on the pitch after that. I'm not saying it changes the game. He missed his penalty, but that really felt like a, it felt like a bit of a big moment, but I still don't think England would have gone on to win from that point. But I was impressed with the fact that after having such a terrible second half display, because I thought, honestly, when it went to extra time, I thought, okay, we're probably going to concede one fairly quickly now and then another one just as we're trying to push forward. But I think, actually, fair play to the team. They came out after the full-time whistle and they kind of restarted and went, right, let's... They kind of turned around their performance a little bit. were a bit more positive, had more of the ball. And I think that shows a bit of the mental strength that was in that team. So I think a lot of teams... You head into extra time being absolutely battered and then extra time is just 30 minutes where you're just going to concede two or three goals. And I think we did well to kind of solidify a bit and try and push forward. I think the change in shape definitely helped. This is when Saka kind of came more into it. But again, I'm going to go to Gareth Southgate's game management and how he ended extra time, I think, was terrible. Bringing on Jaden Sancho and Marcus Rashford literally at the 119th minute solely to take penalties. These players potentially wouldn't have kicked a football in around two hours. And you are expecting their first kick to be a penalty in a penalty shootout. I think if you're going to bring them on, bring them on 10 minutes before seven minutes before, five minutes before, give them time to at least maybe touch the ball, get involved in the game, get their mind right, get set, to bring them on and then the final whistle and right, go take a penalty just seemed like really, really just a bad error, a bad, bad error. I think, look, he's not the first manager to do it and if they score the penalties, we say it's fucking genius, right? But I think it just... It puts more pressure on these players that are already going to have a lot of pressure on them. Talking about managers, there is a manager who is not Italian nor English, but he's very loud and he always speaks. And he said that he knows for a fact that a few English players refused to take on penalty duties. Do you believe it's true? or Is this Mourinho? Is this Mourinho? (laughs) The guy is obsessed. Honestly, no, I don't believe him. Um, Jack Grealish came out really angry on Twitter and was like, I said I wanted to take a penalty. Um, like The managers made a lot of right decisions across the tournament. We trusted him. We knew that he would make the right decision, right? I've, I don't th- I think, is it great that Bakayo Saka, a 19-year-old, is taking the fifth penalty? Definitely not. Like, definitely not. As much as I rate Saka, I think that moment was just too big for anyone, especially after... We've just missed two penalties. I think it was just 
there should be more senior players stepping up or you should be choosing more senior players. Now, we'll never know. Ultimately, we'll never know if no player stepped up or if it was a decision because they'll keep it in-house and they should do, right? But all I would say is that I would hope that a more experienced player would be on the fifth penalty. Um, Honestly, it's kind of been a bit rough because obviously in... In Italy now, that moment is on loop. It's on TV constantly, just that, that Donnarumma save, right? From their point of view, it's the Donnarumma save. From my point of view, it's Saka missing a penalty. So I've seen it about 50 times in the past 48 hours already. Um, but I just Man. feel like the our selection of penalty takers was pretty terrible. Um, yeah. And even in the selection, sorry, even in the selection, Italy, they knew their penalty takers. It took them about five seconds. It went bang, 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 wrote it down. There we go. England, they took a long time to decide their penalty takers. And I think that shows the lack of preparedness or maybe a panic. I don't know. But it shows how we saw how Italy in the shootout against Spain were so clinical and so like relaxed that the second England showed any kind of weakness, Italy were going to be all over it. So I think classic England kind of fucked up a penalty shootout. But, oh, Saka, I wish it hadn't have been you. I really wish it hadn't have been you. Yeah, man, and the, the the picture, I'm very glad that the cameraman, I mean, you have to do it. When you're a cameraman, you are bringing people to show and you have to show all emotions. But I'm very glad that the cameraman, like, froze on Saka for a second and then it was all Italy. But Saka's reaction, do you see, is like, he turns around, he, like, pulls up his shirt, then he pulls it down, doesn't really understand what's going on because Donnarumma isn't celebrating. And then he's like, you really see when he understands that it's done forever mate you're gonna make me honestly it gets me it gets me every time there's a besides phillips also southgate Mm -hmm. when he went there and like talked to him and like almost covered his face from the cameras like that was beautiful to see but let's just go through the penalties for a second because there are a few shout outs that i would like to make i'll go with italy's and then you can go with england's yeah uh, yeah yeah. players so domenico berardi man domenico berardi is an incredible football player and he's been if you don't follow that much Italian football, maybe it's kind of a new name to you. But like at Sassuolo, he's been running the show for a long time. He had a few, but I'm so that Mancini had the guts to call him up for the senior squad. Very effective sub whenever he's come on. He's got, man, he's a very tactic, technical player. Like he can control almost any ball. He's He's got a very good game on the wing and he scored a very nice penalty. Andrea Belotti, I don't know why, but Leroy and I, I knew that I was being very loud in that place. And they know that there is a friend of mine that doesn't like loud people. And that's Leroy. So the only interaction that I had with Leroy at some point, I was like, let's fucking go, Leroy. I was like, fucking go get me a beer. I was like, all right, fine, sorry. <laughs> but in that moment, I like, I felt like somebody was looking at me and they look at Leroy and we both shake heads. Like there was something about Belotti that I was like, he's going to miss it. Save by Pickford, one of the, if England had won the cup, Pickford would have been mm-hmm. arguably man of the match. Like he, 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 man, he looked like, he looked like a real goalkeeper. Like he didn't fuck up at all. No, he, no, no. He had an outstanding game and he did nothing wrong. He did zero wrong in that game. Like zero wrong. Leonardo Bonucci, I mean, Leonardo Bonucci cannot, like, doesn't only score penalties. He, like knows where he wants it and he studies the situation very well he Mm -hmm. put it he was like pickford is gonna get it if i shoot it low i'm gonna shoot it slightly higher pickford had the direction but didn't manage to save it 
Federico Bernardeschi, I never, here I say it, I'm never going to say anything bad about this guy anymore. Roy, did you like the chant when he came on? Bernardeschi prova la giocata. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> la giocata is just like Bernardeschi tried the dribble, like Bernardeschi tried like something fancy because in an interview after like the second Italy game, the interviewer asked him like, are you freer in the national team than you are at Juventus to try to like be fancy? And it's just like, yeah, yeah, I've talked about it with the coach. Like the coach like wants me to like provare la giocata. And he's just like <laughs> he scored a brilliant penalty against Spain, like top bins, and with an incredible cool, he slotted this one in centrally. Mm-hmm. And then Jorginho told you that that run didn't fucking yeah. convince me. And this Mate, you were right. Around, he did miss in a final. He did he miss did, in a final. Yeah, I probably said it in some <laughs> older pod. You would have to, to go look at it. But I probably said that too. And man, Gianluigi Donnarumma, 22 fucking years old. If you're a customary listener of the pod, you know that it probably became so good because when he was 14 years old, he shook my hand. So <laughs> That was the Space Jam moment, right? That was the Space Jam moment, passing yeah, the talent over. Yeah, all yeah, of yeah. my talent, all of my Annex 16 talent. Man, I love that he didn't celebrate when he saved that penalty. He confused the shit out of everybody. I was just like, somebody came towards me. They were like, yes. And it was like, guys, the last penalty. They're just like, dude, it's over. And they see Mancini crying with Viali. And I'm like, ah, what? <laughs> I can't keep track of penalties when they're shooting them. Rory, no, I think it was such a... Such a tense situation. I couldn't really keep up. I just knew that missing two in a row is terrible. Missing three in a row means you've definitely lost. I think going through our penalties, look, Harry Kane was, I was confident when Harry Kane stepped up and he put away. Very nice penalty. Cool, calm, assured. Harry Maguire, what a penalty. Absolutely pinged it into the top corner, breaking the camera that was in the net. So low key, the best penalty of the, of the shootout. Um, then we get to the the England bit. I think look, Rashford. He was he's come out in a he's put a thing on Twitter recently saying that like he was trying to buy himself more time. He still wonders why he did what he did. I thought it was a bit of a like stupid penalty. Like you just that stopped run and then he he hits the post and it's kind of unlucky, I suppose. And then you've got Gijo Donnarumma, basically. I think Sancho and Saka, I don't think Saka's penalty was that great. It was fairly easy for for Donnarumma to save. But I think with the size of Donnarumma, if you don't hit it exactly in the corner, he just falls and he he, he gets it. Like, he, the guy is massive. And I feel like it was... It was more credit to him than our penalty takers missing, I think. They were great saves. I think Saka's could have been a better penalty. But like we've said, I do not envy him being in that situation in Wembley with 90,000 people watching and billions around the planet and a whole country that is so desperate, desperate for for success. I do not want, I would not want to be in that situation. So fair play, Bakayo, for having the bollocks to step up and take that final penalty because apparently... Others in the team weren't so willing. I don't know. It's, oh man, it was brutal. Like I said to you, before he took the penalty, I just said, I don't know if I can handle him missing this. And I was almost certain that he would. I never at any point thought he's going to score this. That was his first ever professional penalty. Really? Holy crap. No, man. That, yeah, yeah. Why the fuck would you pick that guy, 19 years old, to have that responsibility? It's, 
it's insane. And it, when when people say that, like, why would you pick him? It's not like a personal thing about him. It's like, because he has shown at every level that he's arrived, he turns up and he looks completely comfortable. He makes his Arsenal debut. He becomes our best player, right? He makes his England debut. He becomes a fairly key player of the team, right? Every step he's come, he's looked comfortable. And I think part of that decision was Southgate going, I think you've got it. I think you've got that composure and that calmness and you've got that kind of ability to just deal with situations about you. Now, obviously, like, I'm not going to say how well, how badly or how well he dealt with it. It's a penalty shootout. But I think maybe it was just a step too far. And I just think, I really hope he's going to come back from it. His career, he's going to have a great career. He's going to be a great player. Hopefully all at Arsenal. Like I think we said at the beginning, many, many, many great players have missed penalties. You are not the only one. Cristiano Ronaldo missed one in 2004 against Greece, right? Baggio's missed them. A lot of great players have missed penalties and they've gone on and done great things. So, Bakayo, if by any chance you're listening, please just have a good holiday and fucking relax. Don't think about football for a few weeks and then come back for Arsenal. Yeah, man. The thing, the thing I think it's very important right now that it's he needs to be protected. Like, mm-hmm. he's unfortunately, dude, and this is Bukayo, I hope you're not listening anymore. Unfortunately, these crucial penalty misses rarely go forgotten. Roberto Baggio, mm-hmm. Ballon d'Or, considered the greatest Italian uh, taker of all time, the, the greatest Italian talent of all time. I believe that if you had like a survey and you ask people, what is the first word that comes to your mind when I say Roberto Baggio? Some people would say Codino, the thing mm-hmm. that is the little tail that he had behind his hair. A lot of people would say Rigore, which is penalty, yeah. because a lot mm-hmm. of people associate him to that. Now, it doesn't mean that they... They, they don't consider his career and they don't consider him great. But unfortunately, it's it's these things are remembered a lot. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, England can make a statement at the next World Cup. Bukayo can win things with Arsenal. Maybe didn't pick the right club to overturn. <laughs> to he overturn. is going to be winning things with Arsenal. I'm absolutely convinced of it. I just no, There's but- a moment I cannot wait and I wish I could be there. But the first game at the Emirates when we've got a full stadium... The reception that that stadium is going to give Bukayo Saka is going to be unbelievable. Like the Arsenal fans are so one hundred percent behind him. I think I cannot wait to see that. I wish I could experience it. So, just concentrate on that moment. Concentrate on that moment. And it wasn't the worst penalty, in my opinion. The worst penalty was Marcus Rashford. Man, Marcus yeah. Rashford looked scared, and it must be scary when you try to buy yourself some time hoping that the goalkeeper makes an easy decision and the goalkeeper is stood in front of you without even flinching. So I think that when he, he tried to do a little step and he saw Donnarumma not moving, there he kind of froze and he was yeah. just like, oh, fuck. Like, what am I going to do now? Like, my, my plan is gone. Like, the guy is not moving. And then he hit the post. It was a pretty soft penalty. That was the worst one. And yeah, Bukayo, we're, gonna, we're done talking about you. But man, really... It takes the balls to shoot a penalty, to miss it. This is like, life is a bitch. Life is like that. Like, if you had scored that penalty, you would be a national hero. And you didn't, but that's the sport. That's the career you've also chosen. And it's better maybe to know this heartbreak when you're young and you still have your entire career in front Mm -hmm. of you to accomplish great things. It's like, yeah, man, you've done it when you were 19. You've got another 15 years of football to like do great things. And you've done a great tournament already. Last thing, Rory, I want to say, really, I'm super excited about Italy winning this tournament. I'm going to say the reasons also why I'm super excited 
and I'm super happy about it. But I want to say fair play to England because they put up a fucking fight and with a team that young, that unexperienced, to be able to take Italy all the way to the Mm -hmm. penalties, man, praise to you. Well-deserved the silver medal. Don't understand why they took it off like that, but yeah. No, I can. Look, people have been overanalyzing the players taking off the medals, stuff like that. I think I, I don't know. Some Calvin Phillips kissed it. He was proud of what had happened. I think it's just a heat of the moment, a fairly emotional moment. Yeah, I think. Look, last thing, last last thing on Saka. Um, he's coming to a squad as the twenty sixth man, right? He was meant to be a fringe player, and he has stepped up and been one of arguably one of England's better performers. Um, across the tournament, and I think, or a very influential performer across the tournament, and I think that alone for him is a is an incredible, incredible first tournament uh, for your country at nineteen. I think the England team. I'm just so proud of what they've done. So proud of what they've done. The way they've, like. Beating Germany was incredible. I know we're going to get into our highlights, but like beating Germany was amazing. And like, there were so many moments across this tournament where I was like, I love this team. I just love this team. And I think, like I said it the whole way through as well, that if we lost to Italy, it wouldn't upset me that much. It didn't upset me that much. It would have been worse with someone else. Um, so I think now we're ready to talk about our highlights of the tournament, right? Yeah, one last thing that I want to say. I, I don't know if Mourinho knows for sure that some people decided not to take the panel. He doesn't know for sure. He doesn't. I can tell you, he doesn't know for sure. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. But one thing that makes me think, and I did think about it on Monday, because on Sunday I was not, I did not have the brain capability to think that much. But I was like, oh, yeah, Sterling didn't take the penalty because he he had been subbed. But he hadn't been subbed. No, no, I hadn't. The fact that Sterling is not going to take one of the five penalties... Mm, there is something behind that. Maybe, maybe he refused to take it. I don't know. But Sterling, he's a penalty taker and definitely has taken more than zero penalties in his career. Mate, after, the, after, the, after the tournament he's had, I doubt he's going to be shitting himself about taking a penalty. I think, it was a, I think it was a managerial decision. I think it was something about analytics within training. I think there is method to the madness that we ended up in. Um, but... Before we go to our favorite moments of the tournament, I have to go on a little Mancini love letter. Okay, so, go. Number one, Mancini and I share the same hometown, baby. Yezi in Marche. Let's go. The other thing, and we did cover it in one of our earlier pods. We've had, we've done so many. How can I remember which one it was? But I did talk about Mancini's career a little bit. Mancini was one of the youngest debutants in Italian football for a very long time. He was the youngest. Unfortunately, he was a very Balotelli-like type of dude. And maybe that's why he was the one to discover Balotelli's talent and be like, I like this guy because I see myself in him. But he was excluded by uh, from the 1986 World Cup because he came back home drunk while the Italian national team was doing a tour of the United States. And he came back home drunk together with other two players. They were all sent back home. They all called the manager to apologize and they were reinserted in the squad except Mancini. He said that his entire family, his friends were all telling him, dude, call the manager and apologize. He refused to do it, didn't get called up again. He did play the 1990 World Cup. 
didn't really play that much because there was still this stain on his name. Like, is he a guy that we can trust or is he only a guy who's going to get a red because he just, like, hammers a player down to the ground? Um, 1994, I would have to double-check. I don't even think he was in the squad or if he was, he played, like, literally, like, 20 minutes or something like that. This said, Mancini then became a pretty important manager. He won Inter thanks for the first time in years. He won Manchester City a title. He won when he went to Russia. He won wherever he went. What you have to think about is that when Mancini took charge of the Italian national team, we had just failed to qualify for a World Cup. And apparently, the first thing that he said in Coverciano when he met the players was... We are here to win the Euros. And we still had to play the qualifying stage. And imagine talking to a group of players that have just missed out on the qualifying for the World Cup. And you say, I don't even care about the qualifying. We are here to win this tournament. And I really think that his confidence in this objective really made it made the players believe. And he said, the bravest thing that the, my men have done during this tournament is believing that they would win it. They weren't as mouthy as the British with its coming home, but they were always singing that song from Italia 90. Noti magiche inseguendo un gol. And it was just like, guys, isn't it a little too early to sing? But the belief that they could do it was there all along. We won every single game along the way. We are undefeated in 34 games, two games away for setting, from setting a new world record. And there is a backstory that makes the win on Sunday all the sweeter. Well, I wasn't born. Rory was a very young uh, English boy, and he doesn't remember this either. But the 1990 Champions League final was Sampdoria Barcelona. And who was playing for Sampdoria up front? Mancini and Vialli. I gemelli del gol, the twins of goals. And where was that final played? That final was played in Wembley. And they lost that final. And Mancini, in a very teary uh, speech at the press conference after the game, he said, I dedicate this win to my manager at the time, the Sampdoria manager at the time, to all the Sampdoria supporters. He said, life is pretty funny. Me and Gianluca Vialli, we didn't think we could ever like erase that memory from our brains. We never will. But right now we've come to Wembley. We've accomplished something great. And this is dedicated to all Italians, but especially to the people who saw that final and saw us lose in overtime against the star-studded Barcelona. I thought that was beautiful. I liked Mancini's poise all along. When he was appointed, was a little worried because Mancini tended, when he was at Inter Milan, to be a bit of a prima donna, like he would argue with players. He Even at Man City, do you remember that? That those pictures at the training ground of him punching Balotelli and Balotelli <laughs> punching him back. Yeah, I was yeah, very yeah. worried. I was like, we need a calm dude to take this job. But it feels like Man- Mancini has learned his lesson. He's matured and he's just won as a Euro. And I'm super happy. And we are from the same town, dude. Yezi in Marche, Mancini and Adami. Those are the two standout names. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of like the English press and like kind of English Twitter have been going pretty mad for Viali and Mancini's relationship the whole way through the tournament. I think it's like lovely to see, especially what Viali has had to go through in his personal life recently. It's incredible to see him back in the footballing world and winning and, things. And um, what about the suits that Italy were rocking all along? Oh, Weren't those the coldest fucking ice, suits of 
ever seen in the game. Ice. Ice cold. Ice cold. Yeah. Well, look, guy, Tommy, you were you were the worthy winners. You were the best team over the tournament. You were the best team over the game. I think that it's very hard to argue otherwise. Um, but for now, we're going to take a wider look at the tournament. And we're going to kind of look back at this incredible tournament and see if we agree or disagree on a few different categories. So, Tommy, I'm going to say the category. You give your answer, I'll give mine, and we'll do a quick bit about each, right? Um, So the first one is going to be, as I scroll down my Word document, um, your player of the tournament. Now, of course, Gidro Donnarumma did eventually win it. Um, We can discuss that as well. I'm not sure. I was a bit surprised by that. I don't know about you. But who would be your player of the tournament? My player of the tournament, I have to say that when I saw Donnarumma player of the tournament, I was like, whoa, all right. I think people are talking about the best goalkeeper in the world a little too quickly right now. I Man, even in the final, there was a corner kick. Donnarumma came out, kind of missed the ball, and made my heart skip a few bits. I think he's a very good player. He's still very young, 22 years old. He's accomplishing great things. But I, I don't think he's the best goalkeeper in the world. Is it the goal? Is it the player of the tournament? Arguably so, man. Three penalty saves over two shootouts. He's never lost a, sh- a penalty shootout in his lifetime. Five out of five. He's had incredible saves on De Bruyne and Lukaku when we were playing Belgium and we were on the nil-nil. I think that the award is deserved. And I would say as well that my player of the tournament is Gianluigi Donnarumma. Big time. What about you? I have gone for now, if he hadn't have been injured, I would say Spinazzola because he was absolutely fantastic for Italy. Unbelievable. And I think the fact that Italy managed to continue and win it without him is very, very impressive. Emerson Palmieri, I think his stock is going to be going up quite a bit and maybe Chelsea might give him a second chance. I thought he filled in really well for him. But I think Spinazzola absolutely tore up the matches that he managed to play. My other shout was, with my England hat on, I was going to say Raheem Sterling. I think if England had won it, Raheem Sterling would have got um, player of the tournament. I think beyond his performances, just seeing a a guy who's had to put up with so much shit in, uh, in the UK and who grew up, like we said, like 100 metres from the stadium, for him to absolutely tear up a tournament in his home stadium... Um, for his country that has often kind of laughed at him and treated him pretty badly, I think there's a, a certain beauty to it. So I think if England had won it, I think Raheem Sterling would have been player of the tournament, but my player of the tournament is still going to be Spinazzola, despite him getting injured. Nice. Second category, Rory? Next one is, who was the true dark horse? Now, in our predictions... I remember I said Turkey, so I'm going to give myself a slap on the wrist for that one because that one definitely went wrong. Make me hear hear the little slap on your wrist. There you go. There we go. What I said, but probably was some bullshit like Scotland. I probably (laughs) owned myself. It must have been like Scotland or Wales or some shit like that. (laughs) So no one would be stupid enough to say Scotland. But who do you? Which team do you think was ultimately the dark horse of the tournament? Well. Excuse my French, but I have to say the name of the team that literally made me jizz my pants in a very unexpected moment of a random night out with my friends. I've had 
I, I have very contrasting feelings about this country because I've lived there and I feel like I haven't been treated the right way. Mm. I struggled to find the job, eventually didn't find it, eventually came back to Italy with my head down. But guys, my opinion of you has completely changed. I'm talking about Cow County. I'm talking about Cheese and Chocolate County. I'm talking about fucking Geneva and Bern and Zurich and some other pointless cities. Nazi gold, lots of Nazi gold. (laughs) Yeah, lots of Jewish gold, like, stolen during World War II. But fuck yeah, Switzerland, the dark horse of the tournament. That game against France, I was like, what? Dude, I started, like, a fucking, like, Swiss supporter section at a random bar in Milan. Like, I was just like... Guys, so are we going to support somebody? And they were like, yeah, I don't know. Well, we don't really care. I was like, you don't really care? Do you want France to win? And people were very (laughs) quick to say, no, you're right. Fuck, go Switzerland. Man, that game, they went 1-0 up, then 3-1 down. Then they equalized the meme of the Swiss fan, like taking off his shirt. Unbelievable. Dude, Switzerland, the dark horse of the tournament, they went out against Spain at penalty Mm -hmm. shootouts. Like... They they pushed France and Spain to penalty shootouts. They are my dark horse of the tournament, big time. Well, on Switzerland, I want to say Granite Xhaka got in team of the tournament. <laughs> so w- watching Granite Xhaka be the Granite Xhaka we all hoped he would be was particularly painful. I hope he can bring it back to Arsenal. I think his Arsenal career is kind of over now. But um, yeah, Switzerland is a very good shout. I think that France performance was fantastic again against spain they were incredible before the tournament i do remember me saying they're a bit like wallpaper and a bit pointless i apologize about that um but my dark horse is going to be denmark um i think they've they obviously lost their first two games under the horrific circumstances that they had to go through for them to then get to the semi-finals and play very well against england arguably or According to lots of Italians on Twitter, they were cheated out of the tournament. Um, I think they did just had an incredible performance. Players like uh, Kasper Schmeichel, Damsgaard, Myla, uh, Delaney. They had such incredible tournaments. Simon Kier. I think they were just a great team, and they showed that the great like the team spirit can take you so far, as well as having a lot of very talented players. Kasper Schmeichel had an unbelievable tournament. I think he could arguably be like, you know, behind Donnarumma and Pickford, kind of the goalkeeper of the tournament. Um, so I think, yeah, not many people, especially after losing their first two games, not many people saw them going as far as they did, but we're all delighted that they did. They also provided one of the moments of the tournament, despite it being awful circumstances with Christian Eriksen. It was beautiful to see against Finland, one set of fans shouting Christian and the other set shouting Ericsson. And it was like this really beautiful moment amongst this tragedy. So I think they've brought a lot of a lot of great moments to the tournament. So they are my dark horse, Denmark. I don't know how to say congratulations in Danish, but congratulations in Danish. Um I'll say it. It's probably congratulations. That sounds about right. I apologize to anyone we offended. Next, we have most disappointing team. Yeah, I'm going to go with the team that got out against the Switzerland on penalties. It's France, baby. Um, There wasn't much of a discussion about France possibly not winning this tournament. 
No. I, I think everybody was just like, man, France is the team to beat. France is the team to beat. France is the team to beat. Next thing you know, France are out on penalties against Switzerland. I feel like their manager's time might be running out. Um, this is like they've lost one European Championship final. They've won the World Cup, but now they've gone out of this World Cup in horrible fashion. They were in the group of death. They won 1-0 against Germany, and then they drew both to Hungary, which was the very disappointing one, and to Portugal. And mm -hmm. on paper, they were the team to beat. So I feel like they... I mean, they've, they've played five, four games and only won one and tied three. So I think that this French generation is still incredible. They still have an incredible team, but they need a little bit more. They, can, they haven't built a legacy yet. They're mm -hmm. not going on... Like um, they're not going, they're not going with inertia. Like yet, you know, they still need some structure. Like that Spain they're... team did, right? Like that Spain team did, or like the France team did in two thousand. Like they followed exactly. that momentum, right? Yeah, yeah. Except the momentum was the word that I wanted to use. They don't have that momentum yet, and they they have an incredible team, but they need structure, and sometimes maybe they're a bit too cocky. So France is the most disappointing for me. What about you, Rory? I think I, I've gone for two, and the first one is France. I think they out-Frenched themselves by like having little... The players weren't even bickering. It was the families that were bickering, and it was all very... You could tell it wasn't a particularly happy camp. I think, yeah, they were massively disappointing. I'm delighted that they were, because it meant that England got to the final. Um, I think it would have been much harder with France in the bracket. But... Um, yeah, I think they were massively disappointing. But the other team, I'm going to say, just because I said they were dark horses at the beginning of the tournament, I really didn't see them being as bad as they were. But Turkey, my God, they were terrible. Um, not going to spend too much on it. Just they completely forgot how to defend and were just, just stank the whole tournament out, didn't they? I feel sorry for any Turkish fans that after looking forward to a tournament for so long, it felt like forever since they'd been at a major tournament. For that to be your performance is pretty disappointing. Um, let's go for the next category, which is... Okay, let's go for Newcomer. Okay, so the player that you didn't really know about, but now you know about. Dolberg from Denmark. Um, he scored three goals, center forward. He plays in France. Didn't really know who he was. He scored in only two games, but still three goals out of five uh, out of six games that's pretty good one goal every every two games um i still want to investigate more i want to see his league form in france as well but for what i've seen in these euros i would say dolberg is my newcomer i know you have a different idea but maybe you pick the name from the same team yeah, again, I'm trying to narrow it down, but because you've given a shout-out to a Danish player, I'm going to go for the young Belgian in Jeremy Doku. I was incredibly impressed by this guy. I think he could be the most promising um, of the next generation of Belgian players. He's still only 19, winger. He's only got 10 caps for the country, but does have two goals. And I just feel like every time I watched him, he seemed... Just incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Um, really direct. Whenever he gets the ball, the only thing he thinks about is attacking. Um, and particularly against Italy, I was very impressed by him. I think this is a player that in a few years we're going to be um, raving about. And he's a player that I literally had no idea about before. He's still currently at Anderlecht. I fear that he might not be there much longer, though. 
I and I, if I remember correctly, there were a few very good memes uh, playing around with his name, Doku Goku, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. like sometimes he had like an incredible sprint, and it was like, oh my god, Doku could turn into Goku or something <laughs> like that. That would be funny. But this one is an exciting one. Goal of the tournament, Rory. I'm gonna let you go first. I need to get better at making decisions. I've gone for two again, but I'm gonna go for. Modric against Scotland because it is an outside of the foot beauty, and I'm 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 a sucker for an outside of the foot cross, an outside of the foot shot. That's why I love Ricardo Quaresma. Right? What a goal! What a goal! I feel really bad for Scotland that they had two of the goals of the tournament scored against them between Schick and uh, Modric. But I think seeing like what could or probably is Modric's last tournament, unless he goes for the World Cup next year, um, to see him score that goal for Croatia to get them through the group was pretty beautiful. And just watch it again. What a strike. What a strike. A lot of things have happened over the past month, but I seem to remember that there was a very teary goodbye to the national team. Like, he might have quit. He might have quit the national team. Yeah, I'd have to double-check that. I think he might be playing the next World Cup. But while I'm searching that, why don't you take us through your goal no, of the tournament? Another thing about that goal is a beautiful storyline that made Modric both the youngest goal scorer for Croatia and the oldest goal scorer for Croatia at an international tournament. So that's very sweet. My goal nice, of the I like that. My goal of the tournament, Paul Pogba against Switzerland in what many believed was the cherry on top of the cake that beautiful man like just like he picked the top right corner and he drew that beautiful rambo that was unsavable for summer and uh, yeah that's my goal of the tournament but i have to say that also that chic hit against scotland was something absolutely mad another goal that definitely deserves a shout i see that you have it in your notes is chiesa versus austria mm-hmm. I mean, the it's such a difficult goal to score, and he's a very, very young and talented guy. And that goal, it was scored at a crucial moment. We were drawing against Austria. We were in overtime. We had just gone down. Then the goal had been ruled offside, and then he scored that. And I was like, "Ooh, maybe we are onto something." This is I like what I see. But no, I my favorite one was uh, definitely Pogba against uh, against Switzerland. <sighs> and uh, I wanted to ask you another question that you didn't really have in your notes but game of the tournament game of the tournament was that spain croatia one because i really really expected it to be a terrible game i i I honestly i sat down i thought both of those games so it was spain croatia and then france switzerland right and i thought am i bothered about any of these games maybe i just give it a miss oh my god that spain croatia game was just pure chaos from the Unai Simon own goal to then Spain going 3-1 up, 3-3, just insanity, then two goals in extra time, Croatia just dead on their feet. Like it was just what a game. I think that day was one of the greatest football days of my life as in just sheer entertainment. But I'm going to put the Spain-Croatia game first because it just seemed much more chaotic. It was so chaotic. For me, it was definitely friend. Like, if I'm not talking from any Italian perspective, mm-hmm. I really thoroughly enjoyed the game against the Spain. It made me sweat, cold sweat all all throughout. But it was beautiful. 
but my favorite team of the tournament, favorite game of the tournament was Switzerland, France, man. You can't beat that. That was just like a whirlwind of emotions. And I was like, at the, at the end, like I told you, I started a riot with these random people watching the game with their girlfriends. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to make a fool of myself. Like I've been rooting for a shitty team for too long. And then it's like 3-2, three, 3-3. Three, three, and then Mbappe, like the best player, arguably one of the best players in the world, misses his penalty. I was like... This is what I want from a game where I have zero involvement, except the fact that I really dislike France. So that was my <laughs> game of the tournament. Beautiful. So before we go for, through our personal highlights from both Italy and England, the last award is going to be, or the last category is going to be, your moment of the tournament. You, the moment that you think was the most powerful, the most beautiful, that got the biggest reaction from you. What do you think? It was definitely the Bonucci goal in the final, man. It was that goal. Like, yeah. like you know, we started pushing each other and it was difficult to see the tally at that point. But when I saw the celebration, like him standing up like this, like flexing his muscles, I like quickly tried to imitate it right away. And I was just like standing in the pub with my beer. And my favorite moment of the tournament, uh, which is not a footballing moment, but it was at the pub the other night, my friend Francesco Corra, uh, he was desperately looking like we were already being so loud right after that Bonucci goal. And you see him like pushing people around and desperately looking for something to create even a bigger mess. And then I realized what he was going to do one second before he did it and i was like no don't he picked the beer like randomly and just like threw the beer on the air <laughs> and it completely showered our friend salvo that was a beautiful <laughs> moment it was absolute nonsense and the reaction of our friend salvo was even better he turned around and was like let's go <laughs> beer. that was a great moment what about you from an england perspective i think i know the answer and we must have been together in that moment yeah, I think it's the Sterling goal against Germany. The, the first goal against Germany, I just lost my mind. I was like, just, for, it was just a beautiful moment. It was the moment where I thought, this is a new England. This is an England that has changed. This is an England team that is different. It was such a, like, for him to continue that scoring run in Wembley and for us to get, like, that massive massive chip off our shoulder and kind of put that to bed was incredible. I think that the first goal was like when I felt this could happen. The second goal was just icing on the cake, but the first goal was just beautiful. So I think the Raheem Sterling goal against England, I also think the moment that made me really emotional and I thought it was really beautiful was Lukaku shouting, I love you, Christian, down the down the camera after he scored. That was a really powerful moment. Um, but... I'm just going to take us through some of the big memes and some of the big moments that happened across the tournament. So I was looking through some highlight videos and it feels like so much happened. We had Pogba biting Rudiger, which I completely forgot happened. We had the great meme of, we had the great meme of the female reporter being terrified by the Hungarian striker as he equalized against France. Um, all the stuff on Instagram of Insigne constantly scaring Immobile definitely kept me um, entertained throughout the tournament. Locatelli overreacting to Barella, throwing bandages at him. There was that <laughs> mad guy parachuting into the Germany-France game. Yarmolenko taking the piss out of Ronaldo. That weird fundraiser for a German girl crying when there are much more worthy causes for that, um, that level of money to go to. And 
one of my favorite memes, the French drummer who stops uh, drumming the second Switzerland score, I really, really enjoy. So we had quite a lot of memes this tournament. Tommy, what was your like favorite funny moment? Again, the the, the Swiss guy, dude, the, <laughs> dude. The Swiss guy underwent like a physical change from in in twenty seconds. It was like fucking Eric Bana. I remember the name of the actor. What's the name of Hulk? The character, the the guy who. Oh come on! I'm not a superhero guy. Not nerds. Guess what? We're not fucking nerds. Well, it we are like just that. about football. It's still nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> the actor was Eric Bana, but it felt like at first it looked like this lousy just dude, and then like all of a sudden, man, when he took his shirt off, the guy's big. He's pretty fucking <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like there you go, dude. And also, he comes from. He started an Instagram account right after that, and he's got like five hundred thousand followers. Um, what a meme does to you in 2021, oh. right? That was great. I also really liked the Chiellini moment with Jordi Alba, which is like, no, he didn't do it. And then the I thought it was very stupid, like the the Ronaldo thing, like removing the Coca-Cola and saying like, no, like this is bad. I only drink water. And then Pogba moving the beer away. And then Bonucci coming into the press conference after the final. He gets a bottle of beer, opens it, drinks a bit. Then he looks at the Coke and he just goes, Stasera bevo tutto. Tonight I'm going to drink anything. And I'm just like, <laughs> yes, there you go, Leo. Oh my God, I can't believe that I'm, I'm developing like a thing for Bonucci. But man, he's just won as uh, a European championship. So it's difficult. He's, to awful, he's, also, he's also a pretty awful human being. So let's just kind of like leave yeah. that to the side. But I think, yeah, I think my funniest moment of all of them is the um, Chiellini mind games with Jordi Alba was absolutely beautiful to see. I've watched it on loop a fair few times. Um, but before we finally wrap up, your now it's going to be a bit more obvious for you, I suppose. But from an Italy point of view, what was your highlight of the tournament? Well, my highlight of the tournament was the game. Well, we we had a very convincing start, like winning the first two games six nil mm-hmm. already set the tone for the rest of the tournament that we've had. Um, nah, poop stains on my underwear during the Italy Austria game. I was having big Costa Rica vibes when we were mm-hmm. eliminated from the 2014 World Cup. The goal that Arnautovic scored that was luckily ruled offside was very similar to the one that Costa Rica mm-hmm. had scored against us. After that, the game against Belgium, I was, wow. I was just like, this is the first big test that we have. And we knew of all the talks that there had been from Patrick Vieira, Bartets, Neville. They were all like, yeah, Italy are, is a decent side, but let's see when they face like a real position. And in that game, we went 2-0 up after two incredible saves by Donnarumma, and it felt like we were working as a unit. Even, even when they, they they scored the one goal, Lukaku... Lukaku, I don't understand why he shushed Donnarumma. Like, you're only one yes, goal down. That looked a little too cocky. After that, I was very confident. The game against Spain, I was not confident anymore. All of a sudden, I was like... God damn it, Spain weren't even supposed to make it past the group stage almost. And right now they're like in the semifinal, sorry, in the quarterfinal and they're semifinal. Yeah, Semi. semifinal and they're creating like they're wrecking havoc. And then the, the the scariest moment when I saw Bernardeschi walking towards the penalty spot, I was like, oh, fuck it, like Bernardeschi, god damn it. But then, yeah, man, the final, the cold shower on the Shaw goal. But then when we equalized, I was like, we are capable of fucking anything. Mm-hmm. Let's go win this cup. The other thing the other thing that I kind of liked about this tournament is that 
for me, I wasn't in Milan the whole time. Like I went to Spain, then I was in France for one day, then I was back in Italy, then I was in mountain working. So it felt like it felt like a traveling Euros, like just mm-hmm. like it was when I was in Spain. I was able to talk to some Spanish supporters and they gave me their opinion about the team. When I was in France, I absolutely jinxed it on the day that then they lost against the Switzerland. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then coming back to Milan only to watch the final. It was a hell of a day, man. It was a very long day. I'd been awake since six in the morning, like literally got back home. It was actually, this. I want to share this with our listeners. I was driving back and there was a lot of traffic. It was a Sunday and it, there was a lot of traffic. You understand a lot of people taking the weekend away and going back for the final. But on the radio station, I listened for the... I don't follow tennis at all, but mm-hmm. Matteo Berrettini, um, the first Italian to play at a Wimbledon final, he was taking on Djokovic, and he won the first set. He was down. He won the first set. When that was wrapped up, all the commentators were saying, what a talented guy. Like He's only the beginning of his career. He's going to win trophies. We just have to be patient. And then not even the time to finish that. And it's like, okay, we're live from Wembley. Things are getting started. And then as I was approaching, getting closer to Milan, I was like, all right, I'm in my city. I'm ready to go watch the game with the boys. And uh, the celebrations were incredible. Fireworks in Piazza del Duomo. Maybe the first time I've ever seen them. I've never spent a few years in Piazza del Duomo. It was beautiful. Um, a lot of topless girls. Girls, we loved it. Like, hey, like keep keep doing that. That was beautiful to see. Like at a point, I was like, I was like turning around, and there is a firework, and then a guy gave me a flare, like a smoke, like a red. Smoke. Okay, yeah, yeah. It was like this for you, dude. And I'm like, what? And then I turn around. There are two topless girls taking a picture, and I'm like, ah, where am I? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, th- th- this has been my experience. What about you, Rory? How much have you suffered for not being back home for the tournament? Yeah, I feel like I really... If uh, if England had won it, I would have really, 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 really wished I was at home. Um, we lost it, and I really, 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 really wished I was at home. But I think um, the highlight for me was and a continuation of liking the England team. So the 2018 World Cup, I started to like this team. This tournament, I fell in love with this team. I think seeing how well, um, just how well they've represented themselves and how well we've played. I think, look, we've not played the most exciting football, but we've controlled six of the seven games we've played. Um, And I think we've done, yeah, we just... Six and a half. Yeah, six and a half of the seven games we've played, we've controlled. And I think it's just been incredible to to watch. A part of me, a massive part of me wishes I'd been back in the UK because I feel like this summer is going to be like a significant kind of moment that people will be like, do you remember that summer of 2020 or 2021? Um, But I think, yeah, my highlight is beating Germany. Just... That is incredible. That that's felt like a real moment. So I think my personal highlight is yeah, England beating Germany and Bukayo Saka fucking tearing it up because I love to see it. Yeah, and another thing that was absolutely great. I remember the first time that we mentioned it because we were finally looking at the bracket and it was it was possible at that time mm-hmm. at that moment. We're just like Italy England the final, and we we're just like, yeah, dude, that would be great. But then it was like France was in the tournament and all that. We didn't know, and then it fucking happened. First year of the Anglo-Italian pod, it's the first the first time there has been a European Championship final, Italy England. Rory and the English fans, I can tell you one thing: I might have been spoiled 
to have seen Italy win a World Cup and a European Championship. But I also remember very well Euro 2000 when we lost on golden goal against France. Mm -hmm. I also remember when Spain absolutely raped us in the final in 2012, I want to say. And they won 4-0. So just this was your first final of your lifetime. It was a loss. It's not the end of the world. The first final of my lifetime was a loss as well. I don't remember it, but World Cup 1994. The second one, Euro 2000, was another loss. So it takes multiple finals. And I do believe that this English team has got what it takes to make a statement on international stage in the following years. Um, Another thing that I wanted to say is, fuck, I don't remember it now. Um, Oh, yeah. The dates have been released for the start of Serie A. And Mm -hmm. we are kicking off on August the 22nd. Rory, any news on the Prem? Yes, it is a bit earlier. So it's the 13th of August, I believe, is the first game as the mighty Arsenal take on Brentford to kick off the Premier League season. So, guys, we're going to be taking a bit of time off. Um, Me and Tommy have got time off over August, so I think we're going to be needing to do little meetings and strategizing and stuff. But... Guys, what a tournament, what a season. It feels like we have had two consistent years of football. It's never-ending. So now I think we need a bit of time off. We're going to go to the beach, take a relaxing time. I hope you guys do the same. Don't forget about us. Please do tell your friends. They can start from the beginning if they want, or they can join us next season from that point. But tell them to follow us on Twitter at ItalianAngloPod. And on Instagram at Pod. And guys, look, you said August the 13th, Rory. It's July 13th today. So it's less than a month without our voices serenading you while you go to work, before you go to bed, while you're making love. We really don't know (laughs) when you listen to us. We hope it's the the third one I said. That would be creepy as hell. Um, But guys, it's been an incredible run. We called the end of the season already in June, but then we couldn't keep off the... The recording so we managed to squeeze a few euro episodes in we hope you enjoyed them we're going to be back stronger than ever we've got a few plans rory remember i'm going to send emails in august but we're not going to tell anything to our listeners guys it's been a pleasure it's been a great ride we are ready for a new season of football and remember inter are italian champions and italy are european champions baby and i'm here too so (laughs) we will see you in august guys Arrivederci.